Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Justin and the Food Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm Justin Bizarro. I'm the host, and that's B as in boy, I double Z, A double R O. And today I have with me two co hosts, Deborah Micus, my lovely and awesome significant other. Hello. And we also have him back, silent but deadly, John Lutzko. Hello, everybody. And I guarantee you he's probably our most pop- popular host, because if you look up Silent But Deadly on the internet, I guarantee you're going to get the most hits out of, out of all of us. <laughs> so, so today, uh, we'll be interviewing Frank Alfieri and John Schroge from EMA. How are you guys doing today? We're doing well. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you uh, for having us. Doing well. Looking forward to uh, uh, this conversation. Yeah, and just so the audience knows, it, the hardest part about doing this podcast is actually people's names. You'd be surprised how many takes I have to do at the beginning to get the names right, uh, and just trying to phonetically pronounce it and all of that. So um, I try to get Deborah to do it, but she's like, she'll never do an introduction ever. She's like, no, you have to do every out, outbound and inbound intake, so or whatever take it is. But, I like to keep our rules clear, you know, so we each know what the other person does. <laughs> and by rules, she means the rules she sets down. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did a great job. Uh, you, you know, I, I think uh, from the first time out of the gate with just one take, you got my name right. And I know from John's perspective, you got his name right. So well done, Justin. <laughs> Thank well you. done. Thank you. So, I mean, let's get to talking about you guys. So, I mean, I don't want to tell anyone what you guys do or what you do, but give us both um, or give us all both of your history and sort of what led you to EMA and what EMA, EMA is and what you guys have done over the last 20 years as EMA. Uh, good. I'll, I'll start out and I'll, I'll let John jump in. Um, well, you know, kind of what we do, we're in a very unique space. Um, you know, we, we bring uh, unique and innovative brands, uh, a lot of food brands, into a live TV shopping space. And, you know, when people hear that, they go, well, you know, they serve food on live TV shopping. They serve food on QVC and HSN. And, you know, they, they absolutely do. So, um, you know, it, it's part of the kind of the EMA mantra. You know, what we do is we look for very innovative um, brands um, and innovative stories because ultimately live TV shopping is a storytelling platform. Um, you, don't get me wrong. You, you, you know, they're great food. I mean, great products, great food, great values, but ultimately is an entertainment and storytelling platform. So, um, you know, when, uh, EMA was started and I got into the space over 20 years ago, um, and that's where John and I met. John was a, uh, um, the head senior merchant at, uh, at QVC, the head senior food merchant at QVC. And uh, I'll, I'll sing his praises for a little bit. He, he took a category that was a fledgling category, probably did at that time, you know, around $50 million. Um, it was kind of on the cusp. You know, people didn't understand or know um, really if they could get away with selling food. You know, obviously everybody knows food is a sensory product. You know, it's hard to sell something that you, a food which you can't smell or taste um, and get the, you know, the, the customer's trust. Uh, John was instrumental and, you know, the single driving or one of the single driving forces to take food at QVC from about 50 million a year to um, well uh, uh, north of 150 million a year. Um, And it was, you know, in that time, you know, we really kind of solidified our bond 
Um, it took 20 years for us then to form the partnership. You know, EMA was already in place for those 20 years, but then John uh, came in, you know, in the last year, and uh, well, we were able to um, to kind of solidify that bond and and start um, the partnership where John has come in as an equal partner into EMA. So um, I'll let John kind of elaborate on his background a little bit, but that's kind of how we got uh, here in the last 20 years. Yeah, thanks, Frank. And, and uh, you know, from my, my background, you know, I was, uh, <clears throat> you know, at QVC, as Frank's mentioned, uh, ran the food category for well over four years. Um, I then had the opportunity um, uh, where I was asked to uh, oversee and be a merchant down at Circuit City um, and did that for, you know, quite a few years. And then um, I joined and uh, ran other merchant organizations, uh, Pep Boys, Sears, uh, Tiger Direct, um, and a few others. So my, my background has been traditionally merchandising um, where our, you know, my main job was either myself or overseeing a team, drive the sales and uh, the product sales of the categories that I had under me. Um, so I've been fortunate, you know, I've always been a big fan that, you know, product is king. You know, when you find the right product, it's, it's, the question is now how do you maximize its sales opportunity? And having the opportunity to uh, work with Frank and really be close to product again is really where my passion is. And, and uh, you know, we've been uh, having a lot of fun uh, since we've been working together. And so, I mean, tell us a little bit about, I mean, so EMA concentrates solely on food. Is that correct? No, we're in a couple of different categories, Justin. We, you know, um, we recognize, um, you know, first of all, we're both passionate about the food industry and John brings a, um, a storied, you know, background and history, um, even prior to his QVC days. Um, but it's, 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 it's a category at QVC that, um, is now, you know, I don't know the exact numbers. I don't know if I want to quote the exact numbers, but it's continuing to grow and the numbers are astronomical, but, um, you know, it's the, the director of the food category is, has come to both John and I and said, Hey, listen, we're, we're looking for innovative and unique brands. We don't have enough to fill the airtime that's, that's given to us. So, um, and let me give you the offshoot on HSN. QVC just purchased HSN in December of uh, 2017, um, and their food category is pretty much non-existent. But what they want to be able to do is almost mimic and mirror what QVC has done in Westchester, Pennsylvania, and build that to hundreds and hundreds of million-dollar category that it is up in Westchester. Um, so, uh, you know, there's a lot of great opportunities down at HSN as well, but we, uh, like I said, we, we focused on that category because it's, it shows the, the market growth is there. Um, it's a category that we believe, um, that has upside potential, but also, you know, in this landscape of everything is Amazon centric, you know, um, they're the mom and pop retailers, the smaller retailers are all going by the wayside uh, because of what Amazon is doing. You know, there is still, um, you know, that, that feeling that, you know, the way QVC and HSN sells food, Amazon can't touch it right now. I'm sure uh, the Bezos machine will figure it out at some point, um, but the trajectory is, is continuing to grow um, in this space, and uh, we focused on, on food, but we, we look for all unique 
and innovative products across all categories. The, the categories that we don't really touch are fashion and jewelry. Um, there's a lot of SKUs in that. It's, it, and cosmetics. There's a lot of SKUs in that. It's, it's, it's um, sweet spots that we don't know and we don't have. So we like to really kind of fish in the waters that we understand. So for the audience, why don't you give kind of a brief walk through what it would look like? So you guys find a product and what happens? Like, what do you do? How do the introductions work? How do you vet it? You know, what are the tangible things that you're looking for when you're trying to fill this pipeline? Um, I'll start and I'll let John, John jump in again. i what you know, it's it's very important because of our keen eye and understanding and being in the space for a long time, especially for a food product. Um, the first thing John and I will do, and we're in the process of now waiting for a number of samples to come in, is we will taste the product first. Um, you know, ultimately, after we kind of vet out the story and believe that there is a market for it, we will taste the product. Um, and from that point, you know, John, I want you to elaborate on that because because you really have. You know, I have the I, almost a product eye where John has really a true, deep understanding of the food eye. So, John, pick it up from there. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I think, you know, to Frank's point, you know, we're, we're always looking for, you know, great product. And, and when we come across a product, you know, the question is going to be what, you know, be a great product. What, where is that vendor in, in regards to being ready um, to potentially go into this channel. And, you know, to Frank's point, you know, you, you always, we always taste the product. We'd look about how it could be demonstrable on TV, the wow factor of how you can convince a customer to purchase the product on TV without tasting it, which is, you know, a, an interesting challenge. So the product's got to be positioned in a way that it will be successful. And that's from, from really beginning to end. That's from the manufacturing of the product the scalability of the vendor, <clears throat> and then also the fulfillment side and how that product's going to arrive to a, uh, a QVC customer, as an example. So we, we get, sometimes we don't have to do anything and the product's ready to go on air, which is, you know, terrific. Um, but most of the time, it's not the case. There always needs to be some element of help with that vendor and product to get ready once we've decided to uh, move forward on that product to get ready for QVC. So we end up doing anywhere from um, the, the broadcasting piece to help support to the fulfillment side. Um, in some cases, uh, uh, even in regards to the manufacturing of the product. So it really just depends right. on what that product needs to, to get ready for uh, this channel. Right. And the broadcasting piece is, is a very important part of that. Again, going back to the sensory is that, you know, hey, listen, you know, People, people love food because of the taste and the smell. And then, you know, we have to get, we have to really get over those two um, sensory issues when you're live on TV um, to get really across the food experience before they've even had, you know, the chance to taste it themselves. So the broadcast end of it um, really is a, such an important cog in, in the, in the process. Um, so it's not just, Hey, we have, sausage or we have butters or we have sandwiches let's just put them out there and you know and hopefully sell it's it's really from the point of you know what is the ancillary um items that we have on set that you can be used with the lifestyles uh you know that 
let's use again we we just had a a, a very successful butter uh opportunity that sold out in less than six minutes on qvc and we made sure on set there were things that you can use with butters for not just spreading on croissants or spreading on rolls we had it you know cooked on salmon we had it over steaks we've had it you know um in your breakfasts in your lunches in your dinners um, and we want to, we want to touch every customer that says, Hey, listen, you know, well, why would I buy butters? And they see it, a, a, a smoked garlic butter over a, a, a grilled steak. And they say, man, I love that. I'll, I'll buy that just to taste that. So, um, that, you know, that's an important part of the process. And once we vetted it out, I'll, I'll, I'll continue. And then, you know, we'll get on to the next, once we vet it out, then it's our strong relationships inside both of those buildings. Westchester, Pennsylvania, and down in St. Petersburg, Florida, that um, that we then go to the buying offices and say we have a you know we sent what we think is a great uh, item, and this is you know we we present it to them as 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 such. But we also have done the legwork, the back work, and this is really credited to John when his time in the buying chair that not only we present it, but we present the offers that we think would resonate not with just the buyers but with the customers. So when we get into the presentation with the buyers, they don't say, okay, Frank, John, well, what are we selling? Then we lay it all out for them. So, you know, that's an important part of the process too. And that's why the buyers really trust us um, because we do a lot of that back work um, for them prior to getting it through the machine. Yeah. And I just want to add Frank, what to one point you made about the broadcasting slash presentation just a you know quick, couple quick notes um, to put some statistics behind it. You know, it's basically a customer surfing channels every 1.5 seconds they're flipping through a channel. You basically have less than 30 seconds to communicate the value of the product and get the customer to stay and order the product. So that presentation and that demonstration and the broadcasting piece are critical to the to converting. Uh, the sales on TV. So I just want to point that out because it, it's, it is an art within itself. And, um, you know, it's, it's something that Frank's point, you know, ha- is a, is a critical part of, a, of the success of the product. So when a product is on air, typically how long is it actually airing? Is it a couple minutes? Is it, you know, like an infomercial where it's a half an hour or does it vary depending on the product and the complexity of what they're offering? It's normally on QVC's airtime. It's normally six to eight minutes the first time it goes on air. Um, and then uh, HSN might be a little bit longer because they're really trying to grow the category, but HSN may be eight to 10 minutes. Um, but that's, you know, you, you have that, that, you know, that one, that one shot to get the customer's attention. And like John said, you know, they're, they're, they're flipping through the channels. We have about 30 seconds to really keep their attention and then another couple of minutes for them to either get to their tablet, get to their phone, or, or uh, you know, start to get to their computer to order it. So when you guys are vetting products, um, do you guys typically take the exact product that they are offering, or do you try to have something that is specific to the show that you can only find on, the, the, on QVC, let's say? We, we try to um, create a unique value, you know, um, so... Um, whereas let's use the butters for an example again. Um, you know, this, uh, this woman, you know, it's a great story. Um, uh, woman, uh, entrepreneur started making butters in her kitchen, um, for a friend who was, who was, uh, diagnosed with an illness. 
um, and then just really wanted to make butters for her to make her happy. Uh, then started, you know, not only her friend loved them, but then other people started tasting and loved them. And then, you know, they started to take off. What we did is we've taken, we took her um, stable, um, you know, foundation flavors and we've asked her, we kind of challenged her to say, can you make exclusive flavors for the QVC customer? Because John and I both know that anytime you get either world launch or exclusive, you can only buy it here. That really gets um, the, the customer's attention. So um, with, with that said, she was able to, and she worked very diligently and, and quickly, she was able to give us two exclusive flavors um, that you cannot get anywhere else but QVC. So that, that worked out well. So we don't, we don't try to um, position the product to a specific show. Um, we try to position the product to be um, unique uh, in the sense of a value. And value is not always price. Value is kind of what we just talked about is, is if they have, if they're creating uh, a line, they can create some exclusive offers. And she also not only does exclusive um, flavors for us, she also did an exclusive size. She had a little bit larger jar of butters for the QVC customer only, whereas on our website and on the market, you can only get a smaller version. So that's, that's, we, we kind of have to develop that. You know, what John and I do, we, we try to make sustainable um, uh, businesses and build brands instead of just getting it on. You know, there's a lot of rep groups out there that will just get a product on TV and hopefully it does well. Um, what I love about John is that um, we both share that strategic brand vision that we're not only thinking of when we get it on air one time, we're thinking of line extensions. We're thinking of how do we grow this? We're thinking of exclusives. We're thinking of, you know, auto delivery possibilities. You know, everything goes into our vetting out of the product. And we, we really challenge a lot of our food vendors to share this vision, to have it grow on QVC. Yeah, and I think, Frank, you know, just to, just to add on to that, you know, we, we also find ourselves a lot of times, too, working. We might start with a product um, that we bring in, but we're helping the, the vendor with the product development side of things. Absolutely. And um, we, we kind of, if they sometimes, ha, you know, they might be very linear in the kind of product that they sell and say, hey, listen, you've got a great brand. Why don't you do, um, you know, why don't you come up with this line of product or that line of product and, and underneath the brand, and we can test it on QVC and see how it works before it goes out into the masses. That's a win-win because for a QVC HSN, it's a product that, that even though you're there, the vendor's testing it on with them, um, the value proposition that Frank's talking about in regards to, you know, they can't get it anywhere else. That drives that sense of urgency because that stops the customer trying to look around to try to find it, to buy it locally. So the opportunity to really work with these vendors, not only just finding the right product, but be, being able to expand their existing brand and product lines um, over the, you know, over many, over hopefully many years um, is really where we've really we spend a lot of time. And uh, I, I just, Frank, do you mind if I just mention the Nathan story real quick? No, please, I, I, go ahead. Okay, so Nathan's Hot Dogs, you probably have heard of them, um, were, you know, they, when Frank and I worked together back when, when I was at QVC, um, <clears throat> just to talk about, this is, that was a widely distributed hot dog. Most people would see them in a supermarket, but it had a great story, <clears throat> and a great brand and actually had a lot of opportunities for us to build out the breadth of the assortment. So <clears throat> you'd say a hot dog. Well, a lot of people were skeptical that that was going to work, but we actually worked with Nathan's and we designed an exclusive size hot dog 
explore QVC. And um, and what was really great about it was was you know it's an exclusive excuse so no one could get it anywhere else. Had a great story, and um, and and it sold out. I think what, what was it in, in like four minutes? Yeah, less than four minutes. Less than four minutes. But what's but what's really exciting about it when vendors have this opportunity, it's it doesn't. And there's a zillion case studies out there, <clears throat> which I can't necessarily share, but I can at least each one of them. But what has proven with the QVC and the HSN model is even if the vendor has a presence in brick and mortar retailers or grocery stores or wherever it might be, their current product, QVC will drive traffic to those places where the customer sells the product well. It does not cannibalize, it complements. So you can actually, if you if they're, all the systems are talking between uh, QVC and the company, they can actually, we had, you know, we have lots of case studies where, you know, you could see the, as they're promoting a product on QVC, you can start seeing a spike in the brick and mortar side of their sales. And then when it goes on air, it'll spike the brick and mortar sales. And when it comes off air, it'll, it'll scoop back down again. And, and the reason for that is, you know, a lot of times since QVC and HSN only sell one product at a time, basically, or one SKU at a time, that, that, that brand they say, oh, good, I didn't know about this brand. I don't like necessarily that configuration, but I'm going to check at my local supermarket to see if they have something different than I want. So it's, it's, you know, so the great thing about it is, you know, it's an opportunity to test product, and then it's an opportunity to complement your existing product lines if you're in brick and mortar as well. I think it's pretty amazing. So I got to imagine you guys have a lot of clients or potential clients that come to you guys. I mean, how do you you know, deal with the amount of people that come to you and want to be on QVC? I mean, I know you said there's a filtering process, but I mean, just as people hear this podcast, they're like, oh, I want to be on there. I have the best product ever. But I mean, how do you go through that process to, to make sure people don't overwhelm you? Um, it's, you know, we, we have a lot of qualifying questions like, you know, uh, John brought them up before, you know, about the scalability you know, um, we're dealing with a very unique pasta company right now out of Arizona, um, which we can't reveal a lot of other things than that, but tremendous opportunity, tremendous upside. But we're going through the vetting process now, whereas John and I, we, from, uh, you know, first glance, we like it. We're, that's one of the sample packs we're waiting on. But um, then we really kind of take them through their paces, um, you know, because everybody, you know, every entrepreneur out there, uh, especially if they have the product, and especially when when they when we say, hey, listen, you know, how much would you pay to be in six minutes in 100 million U.S. homes? You know, they they jump, they they fall over each other to try to get to us. Um, but you know, it's 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 they. And when you challenge the entrepreneur and say, hey, listen, we'd love to get this on air, you know, they'll say they'll do anything, you know, to get it on air. But um, once we start giving them the qualifying questions, especially for food, and you guys you guys have an understanding of this as well, is that. You know, uh, is there a scalability to it? John brought it up before. You know, um, you know, QVC, even though they're not going to order 100,000 pieces out of the gate, they're going to order maybe, you know, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 sets or 4,000, you know, X amount of pounds of this product pre-cooked or pre-made. You know, are you ready to do that? Yes, in your little mom-and-pop restaurant, you know, you might be able to cater for 100 people and it takes you all day. But when we're, we're, we're talking about, you know, do that, three to four or five times the size of that. And that's just on your first opportunity. So we really want to make sure that they are ready to go. 
Um, so a lot of times when we get through the qualifying questions, and John and I have been through it, where we love an opportunity. There's a, a restaurant, and John knows it. There's a restaurant out of New York City right now that we're chomping at the bit to get him going. And he's a very tiny restaurant, and you know he wants to get on too. Um, but we have to. We had to pull back because. Again, when we started to qualify, what's your daily capacity? What about a co-packer? What about, you know, um, can we do four-pound trays of this? Can we do three-pound trays of that? He realized that it was overwhelming. And, you know, we had the buyers all teed up and ready for a tasting. They said, man, we want this. So, you know, to your point, I've, I've tried to get long-winded, I'll like I said, let John jump in. But, you know, once we start giving the qualifying questions um, and we say, can you do this? Are you ready, prepared to do this? Is there, you know, do you have a commercial kitchen nearby or a co-packer? You know, if you don't, we have, you know, partners that we can, that we can help you partner up with. Um, you know, once they realize that the, the road or the path to get it to there, there's a lot of different work than just, you know, the mom and pop in the back kitchen making, you know, trays of stuff for us. Um, that's when, you know, the kind of rubber meets the road and they go, well, we don't know if we're ready. So, John, I mean, did I explain that right, John? I, I, you, you have a, yeah. a, a deeper understanding of it. Yeah, I mean, and I think that, yeah, I, I, no, you're dead on, Frank. I think, I think, you know, just to add on to that, you know, you know the benefit that, you know, you know, I have or, and Frank, I mean, we've been on the other side of this, too. So, yep. you know, we know what needs to be successful up there. And I'll, I'll just use a quick analogy, the kind of more visual um, of what kind of what Frank's talking about. So if you kind of look at, when you're interacting with a product or, or a vendor and you'd say, okay, you look at, um, think of it as a dashboard on your car. You've got the RPM gauge, which is your operations and your speedometer, which is your sales. The question you're going to ask is, is this vendor going to redline at 20 miles an hour? Um, so what we do is we can find out by those qualifying questions of where, where the opportunities are to get them. So they don't redline at 20 miles an hour. And also more importantly, if, if, in some cases, we can help them resolve those hurdles. And in some cases, to Frank's point, you know, we, we either have to shelve it until they feel comfortable or um, move on to another vendor or product. So once you guys have a client and they've been on air and let's assume they had a success, I mean, what level of frequency do you, I mean, do they get to ever air again? Do you just re-air the original taping? Do you re you know, film, do you, I mean, like, how do you, what's kind of like the longest term run people can have on a QVC or one of those shows? Is it, you know, do you, do you do repeats or it's always new product? Yeah, that's, so that's Frank, a great, do you want, do you yeah, want me to that? That's a great question, Deborah, because I know John has great story. I have great stories about John, but take this one because I, I have a feeling I know what you're going to say. <laughs> so, so, you know, the way it works is, um, within the organizations is there's a merchandising department and there's a planning department. And um, the merchant's job is to go out and find new product. And the planning group is after the product airs determines whether it, it was successful or not and whether it's going to be rerun again or potentially killed or discontinued. Um, the way it, it's important to look at how QVC and HSN look at the business is very similar to a brick and mortar retailer. For a brick and mortar retailer, it's all about shelf space and measuring the dollars per inch or foot in that area. For QVC, their airtime is their shelf space. So 
each product based on the time of the day, based on the time of the year, based on the week, the weekend, have um, various productivity requirements for of that airtime um, on dollars per minute that that item needs to generate in order to be successful. So to answer your question, it really, after that first product airs, the, the planning department's going to look at the product, how it, how it did, and we, we're, we're always there as well when these products go on air, so we kind of know whether, which direction it's going to go. Um, and then, but if it does air again, they're going to make sure that the product is going to be in a programming that makes sense for, for the product. They're not going to put a food pro- product in a uh, lawn and garden show, right? So it's got to be food programming that has to be available. Um, so you can imagine the big drive times for food or, you know, holidays and that kind of stuff. But in some cases, it all has to do with putting the right product in the right show at the right time. And so there's a whole group that has, it's, you know, they make it they're very scientific and they look at a lot of data to determine all that. To answer your question real quick, and then you know, the other part of your question is, you know, when I got there, um, when I used to work at QVC, I brought in brands like uh, uh, Kim and Scott's Pretzels. Now, I found, I found this brand and this product. This product is stuffed pretzels. So think of stuffed pizza, pizza pretzels and all other kinds of stuffed pretzels. And I found them on a what we call a product tour, 50-50 tour, which is what QVC's 50 states. We go and we say we're going to be in Atlanta as an example. All these people meet uh, at this particular place where we are, and then we look at products, you know, to see what the next new product could be for QVC. So I came across this particular husband and wife, Kim and Scott, and their company. At the time, they were very small. And um, what was really exciting about them, they went on air and they sold out. And now 18 years later, they are still on QVC selling their product. And what's <laughs> exciting awesome. and a success story for them is that, you know, because of utilizing QVC to help build their brand, um, which, you know, was, it's a great story here, they got bought by J&J Snacks. So Kim and Scott, even though it's Kim and Scott's brand, I don't think they're that involved in the business anymore, but it's a great success story of someone who um, we found in regards to the kind of product going on air, having a great run for many, many years on selling their product and, and, you know, capitalized on it. So, um, so I think that's, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's a great, I wanted to at least lay out how the process works and then a success story of when something really works. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it's so fun, too, that you guys gave an example of a story that has gone on literally almost for two decades. And, you know, just, I mean, obviously, everyone has stars in their eyes when they start their businesses. And, you know, on a daily basis, we talk to food entrepreneurs and all the goals and dreams that they have. And uh, it's really fun having you guys on kind of talking about another venue, another way for uh, these food entrepreneurs to possibly get their product out to market, and maybe things they've never even thought of. Well, and I think that's true because I think a lot of people think that the Amazon is, or that avenue or e-commerce is such a huge avenue for the business. And while it's one of the avenues, there's a lot of ways to build your product on a, a very well-rounded scale. And what you guys are doing is, is adding that missing piece, I think, for well-rounded because there needs to be complement across all avenues. And that's what you guys are sort of doing. But not every food or beverage entrepreneur is meant or has the ability to go on QVC, which is, I think, is an important thing. There's, 
there are certain things also I'm sure that not every brand is the pretzel brand that's 18 years. There's some that, you know, there are trends and, and things become less popular and things like that. So I got to imagine there's probably some ebbs and flows as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, uh, um, you know, there, it, it, it's a very unique business and again, a very unique opportunity at QVC and HSN. And, and there are, um, there are definitely ebbs and flows just when there's, you know, it, 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 you know, the product will reach a saturation point um, or the, the product um, will, will start a trend and then it becomes, you know, it, it was, it was hot for a while and then it kind of plateaus out and then it will, it'll start to die. So, um, you know, there's definitely ebbs and flows in it. When John and I look at a product or look at a brand, we think of sustainable business. You know, um, we've, we've X'd out some really good products where we would sit in, in our meetings and talk about it and say, well, after this configuration, John, you know, where can it go? Um, or a lot of times, you know, I, I'm the one, I'm the optimistic one where, you know, I want to get everything on air. I'm, I'm all gung-ho and charged up. And John sometimes really has reined me back and say, okay, Frank, I like it. But after we sell this, where's the line extensions? What can we do? And, you know, we've walked away some, from some pretty good products just because we don't want it, uh, you know, a, a year on air, or a year and a half on air. John and I look at three to five year business plan for the brand. Um, and if we don't think we have a sustainable for three to five year plan, um, then we'll really think twice about, you know, bringing that, you know, under our um, umbrella. You know, there's, there's only so much time in the day and we only have so much bandwidth that we can work with. And, um, you know, we don't want to we don't want to bring people into our fold and just, again, throw them up on air. Hopefully they do well. And if they don't, you know, check that one off and, and move on. So, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely, there's a formula to it. And, you know, I think we, we've uh, as close to, to perfected the formula as anybody else. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I know for us, I mean, when we onboard a new client, it takes a lot of effort to get them literally through the whole process where we're actually doing production. And I imagine the same is true for you and possibly even mo more moving parts, especially when you consider they might have to even tweak a product to make it specific to the home shopping network or to QVC or whatnot. So there's a lot that goes into onboarding them. And if you can have some longevity with it, you know, that onboarding can last for three to five years or it could last for just one run. So I see why the vetting process is so important for you guys, because as you mentioned, there's only so many hours in the day. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I learned very early on, and uh, John's a big proponent of this too, is that you spend the same amount of time on the winners as you do on the losers. So you have to uh, mitigate the losses, maximize the wins, um, and that's how you build, you know, the, you know, the, the company. And, um, you know, it's, it's, we, you know, we, we give a lot of these entrepreneurs kind of a, a very hard look at their business. And like, like you had said, just, you know, not all products are, are made for QVC and HSN. I, you know, I don't know how many times I've, I've had entrepreneurs call me and, you know, I'll even say, well, why would ever anybody want this? And they would say, well, everybody wants this. This is perfect for QVC. This is perfect for HSN. And sometimes when you have to, you have to respectively decline and say, you know what, guys, we're not going to move forward with it. They almost get angry at you um, <laughs> to think that it, it's, it's a personal affront. And it's really not. It's, it's, you know, what we love to be able to tell the clients is that we're, we're saving you from a lot of expense and a lot of time. Um, and, you know, it's almost like you'll, You'll thank us in the end because if you go down this road a three to six month time to get it on air, 
you know, and that's being, you know, that's being, you know, liberal in some cases. Uh, John and I worked on a pizza product that has been over a year and we still haven't got it on air, but we believe in the product. So, um, you know, it, it's it, once you, like I said, once you, you kind of give them the hard truths of, hey, listen, this is more of a grocery item. This is more of a brick and mortar. This is more of a Target Walmart item. And it's not a QVC item. You know, with the advent of Shark Tank and Lori Grenier, which John and I, who John and I know very well, um, everybody wants to get on QVC. You know, it, it's now, it's this, it's this magical Disneyland of, of product launches. And, um, you know, it's, it's, we, we love the, the, the fact that Shark Tank is driving a lot of the entrepreneurs our way, but we're also, you know, what Shark Tank, they edit, they edit everything out to make it look glamorous almost sometimes. And, you know, behind the scenes, the hard work, um, sometime really, as someone used to tell me that sometimes the juice isn't worth the squeeze and, uh, <laughs> we don't do that. Yeah. We don't do that, you know, to, to be elitist. We tell them that from, Hey, listen, John and I have combined have close to 20, uh, 50 years of experience together and, you know, utilize that 50 years experience knowing that, Hey, listen, in this medium, you're, uh, you know, you, 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 you're probably best served not going down this road. Well, and I think, Frank, the other point is, too, there, there's a cost and an investment for a vendor to do business with QVC or HSN. And, you know, by not being um, fair to them, you know, they, they, you know they're, you're setting them up to fail. And, you know, we, we want to be sensitive to that, especially with food, small food entrepreneurs. Um, you know, it's, it, it, you know, you're, you're the vendors investing in regards to inventory to support the airing and for them to build this inventory basically on consignment, um, you know, it's, it, it's, they have to find a place for it to go. And, 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 you know, once you go down that path, it's, you know, it's, it's a tough conversation to a vendor if, if it, if it doesn't work out well, you know, in regards to, um, uh, their product. So that's why we really vet and make sure that these vendors are set up for success. And, um, because there, there's a, it's a time investment, there's a, an, you know, an inventory investment, and we just want to make sure that um, they have a good experience. Well, and I encourage anyone, and, and obviously I, I say the same thing on the podcast, and I've had these lessons in my own life, is that just because it doesn't work for the scenario you're, you're looking for doesn't mean you shouldn't go back to the drawing board or, or pivot or, or figure out how to approach it differently or relook at it once you've gone back and, and figured out a way to do it. But I will tell you, and it's one of the reasons we do this podcast, that the, in my opinion, the story means so much. And I don't know if that's true for QVC as well, because I know they get on there and we've talked a little bit about it, but I can tell you the podcasts that do really well on, on our podcast show, they have a great story to begin with. When I ask them the question at the beginning, they they really go into, and it's, you know, the three to five minute elevator speech, but it's not about selling their product. It's about telling the story of their product, which, you know, we talked about butters and, and how the story of it, but it, I mean, is it the same? I mean, I've got to imagine that one of the initial questions is what is the story behind your product? And if you want to come talk to, you know, John and Frank, you better have that story down and, and, and it better be real and it better be authentic and it better be vulnerable because people can see through that pretty quickly. Yeah, you, you hit it on the head, Justin, I can't tell you. And, and you know, we, we alluded to it at the, kind of the beginning of the, the podcast is the story, you know, is almost tantamount to, you know, the product offering and the taste. They're kind of all on the same level. 
you know, again, that QVC and that HSN is that interactive entertainment storytelling. And that's not just coming from John and I. That's coming from any of the, you know, you go on the vendor, vendor portals of these, of these companies, and they'll tell you that, you know, you know the, the, the basis, the growth of, of HSN and QVC were mom-and-pop entrepreneurs coming on and telling their story. And it's still to this day, you know, QVC has been in existence, you know, close to 40 years, HSN over 40 years. And, you know, it's still the basis of why those, those, those companies now combined over $15 billion entity is successful is because of that storytelling. And yes, Justin, we, we, you know, we, we, we go right to it. You know, that's one of the first things, again, when the food, before John and I can even taste the product, we look at the brand and we go through, hey, listen, this is a great story, very unique. Um, so you, that, I can't, you know, and yes, you call it the three to five minute elevator pitch. Um, it, it's exactly, it's, it's what's your story? Because again, going back to sensory, you know, they can't taste the butters. They can't taste the hot dogs. They can't taste, you know, the, the cheesecake. But when you talk about the story and you talk about, hey, listen, this is my, you know, great grandmother's recipe, you know, Nathan's, the, the Nathan story is so great. And John and I hit it on the head. This is Nathan Handworker's grandmother's recipe that she bought over from Poland, you know, back in the early 1900s. And that we sold that. We sold the, the Nathan story. And we knew that there were transplanted New Yorkers, transplanted people from Coney Island that as kids would go to the Nathan stand and bite into that hot dog with their father or their grandfather. And now they live in Seattle. Now they live in Southern California. And they can't get to a Nathan's stand. Yes, they could buy a Nathan's packaged hot dogs in a, in a store, but they wanted to get that, that experience again. And that's all part of this, the brand story. No, and I, I have to admit, as I, I used to travel back from Maryland to and forth to New York quite a bit, and I would make sure I'd save it all for this one rest stop to get Nathan's hot dog because nothing it left a lasting impression on me, this, the actual Nathan's hot dog stand in Coney Island. I mean, it's a, it's just one of those things. I did it when I was in college and up in New York and it, it stuck with me the whole experience and the boardwalk and all that. And it's also selling a memory. I feel like, I feel like Nathan's hot dogs does that as well. And I think there's a lot of products out there that it's not only their story, but it's also selling the, the memory of your own memories, if that makes sense. Yep. And it's so cool. And also the ability to create memories around those products with family and stuff like that. And I think it's interesting. And one of the things I've, we get a lot of and starting to see interest in co-packing is this whole do-it-yourself thing where it's like the components or, or something or the pieces and you put together the pieces to make your own pie or whatever as an example. But people are like, well, why would people do it? It's because they're they're taking the the part out of it where you have to make it from scratch, but they're also giving you the memory of doing something yourself or with a family member to do it. And it's certain things like that. I think there's ways to tie it all together and, and we're understanding it as a business. Um, but on that note, I think we're about halfway through the episode and we should probably take a moment of silence for silent, but deadly and see if he's got any questions. I'm still here. I might not be making a lot of noise, but I am still here. 
Actually, I, you know, I mean, I, John Lesko is, you know, Silent But Deadly is the one who introduced us to EMA. And it has been um, a pleasure knowing you guys. We've definitely had a lot of fun talking in the short amount of time we've known each other. And, you know, when we worked with them on the infused uh, butter blends, it's, you know, it's John really was the one who kind of introduced us all, which is why it's fun that we have Silent But Deadly on our show today. <laughs> I know people are not even going to know your name anymore. <laughs> so well, I met um, I met John and, and Frank through a uh, our mutual customer at you know the QVC airing, and it was it was intimidating, you know, walking into that that building and going through the whole the campus and getting the production, and it's it's for me it was just in, intimidating through that whole process and. It was great to be able to sit in the, the green room with them, and they had so much knowledge about what was happening, and you know what what all the the computer equipment in there was for, and just just everything that goes on behind the scenes. And it was it was really cool to be able to sit with them and get their feedback on everything that was that was going on, so I could understand you know how the process worked and where it was heading and what to look for and and things of that nature. And it was it gave me a really good idea of what their experience levels were and what what their expertise was and, you know, why our client was working with them because it was pretty clear that, you know, they knew what, what to do. If, I have a great story about John from that night is that, you know, we were in the green room and, and QVC over the years has gotten more security conscious. And we were, we were with the guest who is, the, who is the, the, this woman entrepreneur. And, you know, she gets off her phone and looks at her text and says, oh, you know, John Lipsko is, is here. And he's going to come back. And, and, of course, John Trogi and I start to panic a little bit and go, hey, we didn't get him on the list. You know, you can't just invite anybody back to the green room and every, everything. And so we're kind of panicking a little bit. The next thing we know, five minutes later, John Lipsko walks into the green room. And, you know, we, we asked him, we said, you know, how did you, and, and I'm telling you, you know, I've been going in that building over 20 years, and if I'm, I don't care who recognizes me, if I'm not on the list, I can't get by the <laughs> gate out, out front, not nonetheless into the building. And, and John, John Lipsko just walks in and he says, yeah, I just said I'm here for the airing. They gave me a badge, and I walked right back here, and I walked in. So he's, he is not only silent but deadly, but he's a ninja of some, of, of some level. Oh, and you have no idea about the ninja story. When we were kids, everyone should know that John is my cousin. We fanatically watched this movie called The Three Ninjas about these three kids that were ninjas, and I knew he picked it up somewhere. That's right. That's how I got in there. That's why it was all, all thanks to that. I, I still to this day can't believe he got back to the green room because – you have to go through like seven levels of security just to get by the lobby. And he was not only that, and they, they usually don't let you walk down to the green room by themselves. You have to have an employee come and get you. And somehow, some way, I don't know if he tasered the security guards or, you know, you know it, it, was some, it was very high level spy stuff that got him to the green room. But we're, we're glad he made it. And one of the best parts about the three ninjas is one of them's nickname was Tum Tum, like because he liked eating so much, and that just seems so perfect right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and so, I mean, I want to get back on topic, but I just, I just think that the whole experience, and you guys are great guys, and I just talking about this and just being so open and having a laugh and enjoying what you guys do. I mean, you guys obviously really enjoy helping people and doing it in a way that that's good for you and good for the people around you. And I know 
the client that we work with, obviously we, everyone probably knows that's on a podcast, so it's not too hard to figure out if you listen to the podcasts um, that, that are airing. But it's one of those things where you're giving, you're giving people dreams. I mean, you're really helping them build dreams and live their dreams and stuff like that. And, and it's one of those things you can't help everyone's dream, but you certainly are helping a lot of people's dreams, which I, what I, what I think is so true. And just to take it a step further, when I say this before I let you guys in is that you're helping us build our dreams too. And, and because we have a lot of clients and things we want to do as a business in co-packing and things like that, that we want to help people get out there. And you guys and our partnership and, and John Lutzko meeting you um, and, and sneaking his way into the green room, obviously, <laughs> um, obviously there's like a, a synergy there. And just you guys are some amazing individuals and just so open and honest about the way you treat things. I think that's great. Well, we, we appreciate it. And you, you guys now allow us to have a very important cog in the process of you, you know, when we talk about vetting clients out, um, now we have, and we're working with, um, John right now, uh, and you guys right now on a, a couple of different, uh, opportunities that really allow us to, for John and I to be a lot more flexible and, uh, to give a lot more services, you know, to our, you know, you know, our potential clients where we can say, and we're doing it now. We can say, Hey, listen, you know, do you have the ability to do this type of meat, this type of sausage, this type of this, this type of that? And when they say, well, we only do this, uh, John and I then automatically turn to, to John, let's go and say, hey, John, can you guys do this? And I'm going to tell you 99.9% of the time, John just very quietly shakes his head and goes, yeah, sure. I don't see why we couldn't do that. <laughs> and uh, and we're, we're building a great synergy. So we appreciate it. Yeah, well, Absolutely. And one of the things that I think is so great about what's going on and, and just sort of the relationships and food and everything is everyone in, whether it's the food entrepreneur or beverage entrepreneur or are you guys as the representative to help build the product and sort of the, the services that you guys offer and then the production, everyone starts to see what their, you know, part is in all of it because as a food entrepreneur you have dreams that are i'm going to do all the production and i'm going to do all the sales and i'm going to do and handle all the customers and the vendors and all that and you get this thing in your head but it's not it's not the way to success i mean even as a company as us like you know what we're good at is we're good at sourcing producing and the logistics going out the door anything other than that building a brand going out to customers trying to put it on tv or into big box things that's not things we do and and realizing that that's not things we do nor is it something we should do because we don't have the experience in it that doesn't mean we don't look for growth and i heard this earlier today it's the difference between growing deep within your organization and trying to become bigger outside of what you know. And I think that's so true for the entrepreneurs that come to you. What you guys do is help them grow deeper, not necessarily bigger. You keep them within their realm and within their thing. And whether it's adding a different skew that's unique to QVC or to a home shopping network or to whoever, it is, um, it is something that they need to do, but it's within their wheelhouse. And, and that's what really goes on. If you guys turn them away, it's because they what's in their wheelhouse or ability to do is not something that will make them successful on QVC. So why allow them to go down that road? You know, and it's doing them a favor of sorts. And even though they don't see it that way, like I said before, go back to the drawing board. And 
maybe take another shot at it, but it's not meant for everyone. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's a great point. And, you know, even though we, we have a recent example and it's, it's not a food item, but it's a similar scenario where it actually was an automotive product and it wasn't a good fit for QVC and HSN, but we were able to place them in an automotive retailer um, instead. So, um, you know, so to your point, we, we, we evaluate what they're doing. We still might be able to help, but might just not be through a, a QVC HSN opportunity. Correct. And so tell me uh, a little more about, I mean, actually, let's do this. I mean, if you can, I mean, each of you, because I think it's important that we know, I mean, what have been some of your favorite, each of you experiences with bringing a product onto a QVC or, or helping someone? I mean, we talked about Nathan's and we've talked about some of the other products and you don't need to use their name, obviously, but just you know, sort of what have been your favorite people to work with and, and what was the success that made it your favorite? It, it, you know, I've, I've got a number of them. I mean, I, I don't know if I, I can list brand names, but, um, you know, there, there, was, a, there was a number of, of, of products, um, you know, that within, you know, with, there, there was a one, I'll, I'll use, this, there was a one dog uh, grooming tool. It sounds odd, you know, say dog grooming tool, how exciting is that big? And um, a colleague brought it to me and said, you know, Frank, you got to see this thing. He, you know, gave me the name of it. And I said, okay. And he, he sent me a video. And within, uh, I'm going to tell you guys within 15 to 30 seconds, I said, I think this is a great product. I want to present it to the buyer. Um, I then, you know, show up, you know, to the, get a meeting with the buyer at QVC. And this is going back probably about 15 years ago. And bring, you know, a little computer in there and, and show her the video that I saw. And again, a testament to the relationships that we have, you know, because as everybody knows, selling is a relationship business. It's really not a product business. Um, so I, I, in the conference room in the hallway at QVC, I show it to the buyer. And uh, she looks at me, she's watching it, and she says, Frank, I don't get it, but I trust you, so I'll take a chance on it. And um, just to kind of to fast forward to the end of that story, is we ended up selling over 3 million of these tools on QVC in about, I don't know, you know, probably in about three plus years. Um, you know, it's, it was one of the best, if not the best pet product that QVC has ever sold. And it enabled the entrepreneur who, when I met him, he was working out of his basement to sell his company for $162 million. Oh my God. Um, you know, the, the tool was wild, so wildly successful at QVC that when he would go on air, um, the Petco and PetSmarts around the country would be inundated with people coming in and saying, do you have this tool? I've seen it. Do you have it? Do you have it? Whereas the two retailers, the two biggest pet retailers, ended up calling him and saying, I don't know what this product is, but we have to have it on our shelves because everybody just keeps asking about it. So that was one of uh, my biggest successes. John, I, I know you have a number of them. Yeah, I, I got a bunch, but I, you know, I'll I'll stick to a, another food one. You know, I think, you know, one of the things we we do, I did as a buyer, and most buyers do, is they they call it assortment rationalization, and you look through your assortment, find out where your gaps are, of uh, products that you could that you don't have that you need to fill, so that you can, um, in in QVC terms, can balance out a one hour show. You want to be able to do a dessert, you want to do an entree, you want to do. Um, um, an appetizer, and you've got to have enough of the assortment to air uh, vendors and products on that hour. 
So anyway, what, I had a gap in my assortment, um, which was uh, for the gift season. Um, so, uh, you know, it was fruit baskets and or fruit, a fruit company. So I, uh, I, I, I scouted out a very, uh, not, a, not a small company, but relatively small company, a family run business down in Florida, and their specialty was honey bell oranges. So honey bell oranges um, are, if you don't know much about them, it's a, it's a seasonal product that runs for only a couple months of the year. And then they also had um, regular oranges and did all sorts of fruit. So that was about, you know, 18 plus years ago. And, and the father, um, who, who was an older gentleman, would go on air. And, and what was really great, you know, working with this company was first of all the product was terrific. Second of all, the passion from the people. I mean, I, I would tell you that's when you go to a food show, uh, and you you can really tell the food entrepreneurs because they're so passionate about their product. And and in this particular story, this guy, he just he's been selling oranges his whole life. He's been around oranges. And with the great story, fast forward. But to Frank's point earlier, you know they're still on QVC 18 years later and have sold their business to Harry and David's. I don't know what for the dollar amount, but the point was, it's a great story of, of someone who has a great product, who's passionate about it. And, and to be honest with you, when you're around those people, it's contagious uh, most of the time. And just to see how that passion and um, with the help of, of QVC, we were able to really build the brand and, and be able to sell the business. So it reached his objectives and uh, of retirement, I, I'm, I'm guessing. <laughs> so it's just a, that's another story. Well, and I think you touched on something that's pretty important and what QVC does with the people that bring in and what you guys do by bringing people together is that, I mean, it's like sports, right? The When I wanted to be a better soccer player, I had to be, play on better soccer teams to become a better player. And I was only as good as the next best player or the best player because competition breeds success, but in a healthy environment, it also breeds, you know, the ability to do better. I feel like, and people pick up on that. And you were talking a little bit about an environment of success and bringing people together and doing that sort of creates that. And I feel like what you guys are also doing is, is some of that, like people are going on QVC, you're sharing experiences and it's creating an environment for success. And it's not just anyone gets in the door. They, you know, you've still got to try out for the team, but the environment is there and the competition is there and people want to do well and, and things like that. And, um, as a side note, I can't get this out of my head. I keep thinking about the hair vacuum cleaner when you were talking about the dog. <laughs> and, and I don't know why, but it's stuck in my head. But anyway, the, all the infomercials and everything and, and how many of that thing sold. I still remember Wayne's World. I think it was on there as well when Wayne's yep. doing Garth's hair. But it's... Um, but I think the the environment that's created in the help, you know, QVC just doesn't want to put you on the show to make money off you. They want to help you grow your business and be a better business person and, and refine the skills. I mean, we talked about on the Infusion Blends episode is they help train you. And then what you guys also do is you're you're not only representing them to the buyer, you're helping perfect their skills so they can be a better business in order to get there. And I think, um, and as a business, what we do is we don't only co-pack. I mean, you've got to, like, we will make your product exactly the way you want it, but you've got to be willing to go out there and sell it because while we're taking away the production from you, 
you've got to go out there and still be the face of the company. And, and that's something that we look at. Honestly, if, if we're taking the co-production way, that doesn't mean you get to go sit in your living room. You still need to be at the trade shows, like you said, or, or going on QVC. You're then the face of the brand that goes out and tells your story. And if you're not willing to do that, then the product's not going to do very well, um, at least for us in the stages that we do the co-packing on and, and taking them from little to medium-sized businesses. So, or even large ones in some cases, but if the entrepreneur isn't willing to stay involved in their business and be the face of it, because it, a lot of it is, is about how good the product is, but a lot of it is also them. And it's, it's amazing the difference. And when someone steps away from their business, thinking that they've now delegated out all the responsibilities and then the business doesn't do well and it's everyone's fault who they delegated to, they often don't look at themselves and say, Hey, I stopped selling my business. And by selling the business, I mean, I'm not there to be the face of the business anymore. And I'm not going out to trade shows because people know that, like you said, people can feel that passion. It's contagious amongst the entrepreneurs. And people are more willing to buy from someone they can feel an emotional attachment to, which that emotional attachment is their emotional attachment to the product they're doing because they have the story. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, that, back to that storytelling, um, back to that, you know, that you, you use the word passion. It's absolutely um, 100%, you know, real um, in this, you know, and, you know, through the medium of live television, um, if you go on there as just a pitch person devoid or, you know, detached from the product, the GBC customer and the HSN customer is very astute. You know, they'll, they'll see that and they realize that. So, you know, it, it's all about passion. It's all about involvement. And like we said before, John and I, not only do John and I challenge these entrepreneurs and these companies, but QBC and HSN, you know, Q-rate business as a whole will challenge. You know, we, we get edicts from the buying office. That say, John, Frank, to go on air, we'll, we'll buy this much, but it has to be this. We want to present it like this, and we want it done like this. And, um, you know, it, it, we, we get presented challenges. We'll fight back when we don't think it's right. Um, but, you know, we, at the end of the day, we challenge that, that vendor and that, uh, that supplier and that entrepreneur to be the best that he or she can be. So I know that when uh, the product airs, they have someone on, and sometimes it's the actual business owner. So when you guys are kind of vetting that process, I mean, probably not everyone would be comfortable being on camera or, you know, in that element. And so how do you vet that? How do you decide if, you know, because some people might really want to, but they might not be that proficient at it. So how do you kind of assess if they would be good at it and then, you know, to you know, get them prepared because yeah. with it being a finite amount of time. So how does that process it's, happen? It, it's, it's an important part of the business. I'll give you my take on it and then uh, I can let John weigh in. It's an extremely important part of the business because they ultimately will be the face of the, of the brand. And we do have, um, I'll, I'll tell you one quick story, um, not a food story, but it's a product story. Um, you know, back in my, you know, uh, early days at QVC, you know, would, would uh, scour trade shows and find great products. Found this great product, the hardware show. Um, buyer loved it. Everybody loved it. Um, you know, I told the owner of it, I said, you know, we're, we're going to hire a local guest. And he said, no, I sell this all the time. This is easy. I sell it at trade shows. Uh, you know, I sell tons of them when I go to these trade shows and in-store demos and everything. And I said, well, it's a little different because at trade shows, you have a 45-minute captive audience. At QVC, you have six to eight minutes to get their attention. No, Frank, you're wrong. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. 
um, you know, get him through the class, you know, train him as much as I could. Red light goes on. Six minutes later, he walks off set. Um, it was uh, a failure. And he looked at me and he said, and I, I always remember this. I wish I had a tape recorder, but he said, man, you were right. I should have never went on. Um, so that part of it is completely important. Now, for food brands, we love to have the entrepreneur be representative of the product because there is a certain passion there. You know, this is their baby. This is their grandmother's recipe. This is their, they worked in the restaurant, you know, or worked on the farm or, you know, worked in the butcher shop when they were five years old and they learned this technique. And this is why we're bringing this to you. So it's very important. But if they can't make it on or if John and I didn't deem that they're, they're not the right people on air because, you know, we, we vet everybody out and we will say, hey, listen, we don't think you're the right person to go on air. Then um, we have both at QVC and HSN, they have a talent department, and they'll give us category-specific guests. And we will, um, we, you know, we will do our due diligence on, on those guests to make sure they're the right look, the right fit for the product, and also see if they're not overexposed. Um, because you don't want the guest selling your sausages and then two seconds later selling butters and then three minutes later selling cheesecake because then it dilutes that guest's credibility. And they say, well, I thought he was a meat expert. Now he's a dessert expert. Right. Uh, so, you know, a very important part of it. You know, I, I, I don't know, if John, if you have anything to add to that. Well, I, I was just going to add the fact that remember back to what I was talking about earlier that you have a minute and a half for to get that the customers flip, excuse me, a second and a, uh, less than a second to, to stop the customer. And a lot of times the face of the guest will be what will stop the person because they'll say, oh, well, that's the person from such and such company. Wait, I want to see what they're selling, right? So the, so the guest is really important. And, and, you know, to Frank's point, you know, there, there's a couple components, right? One is the logistics and, you know, how, how if the person's on the West Coast and QVC's on the East Coast, you know, how scalable is it for that person to kind of be there? Right. Um, and then the other piece of it is, are they a good fit? And then, you know, also we might, you know, not that it's necessarily happened, but, um, we might think that this person's great, and they, after the training that they go through with QVC, they say you, you, you probably should find someone else. Um, that you know just just happens that way. But we ideally we like to find some connection with um, the product and, and the guest. And, and, and to Frank's point, most of the time it's it's the owner. Um, but we also want to make sure that if every time it airs, that you know someone's available. And then sometimes we also find a backup guest. Um, because sometimes there might be, you know, what we call a TSV, TSV today, special value. That item, if it ever gets selected for that one promotion for the day, which runs 12 plus times in a 24 hour period, that one guess is the way they're going to be able to make it. So they're going to, you know, especially on the overnight. So we need a backup guess. So there's a couple different things we look at, but ideally we like to try to find, um, especially in the food area, the, the kind of the originator or the entrepreneur who came up with their story on air. Right. So if the owner ends up not being the personality to do the sales on the show, um, do they then get to weigh in too? Like when you come up with other talent that you're kind of vetting through and do you share that with them or they just kind of let you guys make that decision because you have more expertise in that? No, we definitely, we, we like them to be in part of the entire process. Um, again, ultimately it's, it's their passion. It's their baby. So we don't want to keep them out of, of any part of the uh, creative process, let's say. Uh, so we definitely share, um, we share all of that with them. And we, we, 
we like their feedback. A lot of times they'll defer to us and say, guys, I don't know. This is a foreign country to me. You guys, you know, and we'll tell them. We'll, John and I will sit there and say, we like so-and-so because he or she um, comes across this way. And this is, we, we want to get the brand story to match the look of the, of the person. We, we have a very unique Southern type of product uh, that is going to be debuting on HSN next month. And John and I both um, love this guest, um, you know, that the talent coordinator gave to us, but he has a, a very thick English accent. And to try to sell a Southern type right. of American <laughs> comfort food delicacy from a guy from Great Britain just doesn't connect. Right. And he was by far the best one with, the, with camera presence and stage presence, but John and I had to had both deny him. Have you guys ever had an owner come on and the red, you know, it starts recording and they freeze and what would happen if that happens? Cause isn't it all live? <laughs> you guys it's, are all, like... it's, it's all live. I don't know. In John's experience, I've never had, I've had, I've had owners go on. Like I said, the, the, the company I just, I, I, I used as an example before that have just went on and just that red light goes on and it's just, it was deer in headlights, but not freeze as much, but just miss all the talking points. Um, and I'm sure John might have stories from when he was inside that building because he saw it, not just our products, but he saw everybody else's products. So I don't know if you have any stories, John. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, um, you know they're, they're, it's kind of when you look at the QVC airing, the, the, the guest and the host have a role. And the guest is supposed to be the product expert. And the host is, is, is really the person who is the tour guide, lack of a better word. And the, the format of the selling is uh, over the fence selling, like you're talking to your neighbor, right? It's not like crazy Eddie selling. It's just like you're talking like to someone about your product and the host is asking the questions. And in some cases when what it, the host is, is the expert in on being on air. So in some cases they, I, I haven't seen anybody freeze, but you know, they get distracted. The, the guests might get distracted with someone who who's calling on the phone and, uh, they're asking questions that, you know, is starting to fluster the guest, uh, the, the host will step in and regear the conversation. They're really good about steering the conversation to get right. it back on track. Right, right, right. Well, that's an, uh, an excellent, I mean, I'm obviously trial and error and they've been doing this for a very long time. So, you know, cause I'm like, I can only imagine you could go through lots of training, but if you're not used to being on camera and whatnot, I could imagine that you could get lost. And so it's, that's probably a nice safety net for them too. That probably also puts them at ease somewhat when they go on camera to know that even if they like freeze a little bit, that they're going to ask them questions and all they have to do is stay present and respond accordingly. And so <laughs> thank God they have systems in place. <laughs> yeah. And, and being present, that's like, I've been on air a number of times with, with different products. Um, over my course of my uh, time. And I remember the first time I went on out, I was nervous as anything. You're thinking that, you know, of course, you, in your mind, you're thinking 100 million U.S. homes. Oh, my God, what if I become, you know, at that point, wasn't, there wasn't any viral videos, but, you know, what if I become this laughing stock and what if I do anything? And, and you'd be amazed as long as you, like I said, concentrate. It, it, when I was taught, I was taught by um, a, uh, you know, a, a very seasoned on-air host at, um, at QVC. My first product went on. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Dan Hughes, he said, he said, Frank, a couple things. He said, I need you to stand close to me. And he, he said, it's going to feel uncomfortable, 
Um, you're going to feel like we're, we're too close together. But he said, uh, and the camera is going to look like a very natural thing. And he said, just listen to me and follow my lead. Don't worry so much about what camera to look into. We don't care about you looking into the camera. We care about you and I talking. And that put me at ease. He said this to me literally about 45 seconds before I went on air the first time. And that really put me at ease. And, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's very much, it, it, you would think it's not like going on into Carnegie Hall and there's thousands of people sitting in an audience and you're up there, you know, on this big stage with these big spotlights, you know, on you. It's, it's in a very controlled studio environment. There's a lot of activity around you that the people don't see behind the camera with people getting ready for the next cell and people, you know, scurrying and, you know, pulling wires and putting sets out and doing everything. And, you know, uh, it's, it can be very overwhelming and very distracting, whereas you don't even think about the red light as much as you think about, man, there's so much going on around me and I'm live in a hundred million U.S. homes. Oh, so that's how John Lutzko snuck in. All the distracted yeah. people. <laughs> he played. I took advantage of all the commotion. <laughs> yeah. For the audience, John's like a presence of a man. He's like a tall, burly guy. Like, you definitely, you know, but you must have very stealth ways, John. <laughs> yeah. There's actually a Chris Farley movie where he's a ninja back in the day, and he's like sort of sneaking around, and he's this, I mean, Chris Farley wasn't a man you would miss, and John's tall and has a presence. I would imagine it being something like that <laughs> yeah yeah it's hard for john to sneak anywhere yeah, he, yeah. He, he's, yeah. he's a big he's a big imposing presence i don't go anywhere unnoticed usually. <laughs> <laughs> oh apparently at qbc you do but, <laughs> well, I, well i feel i feel pretty i feel pretty confident after this podcast uh, john will not have be able to do that yeah. again at QVC. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to be allowed anywhere near that place. You know? <laughs> There's going to be his picture on the door. Do not let this guy in. <laughs> Wanted posters everywhere. But back, to, I mean, back to it. I think one of the things that if I could actually tell everyone in the audience, and and, and, and sort of we talk about it on the podcast. When people ask me how do I prepare, and I send them the list of questions we use. The first one is is make sure that you are prepared because, and you know what you're going to say and tell your story and not a selling story. I mean, the story about how you got to where you are. And it's amazing how many people don't know what that is or have never practiced it yet. They've been selling their product and they have somewhat success, but really like if you want to be on a QVC or you want to go into a grocery store and sell your product, or you want to go to a trade show, like you're jumping in and, and you need to get the experience, but you also need to be aware that the practice comes into really knowing when you want to stay and getting that story refined. I mean, I know we keep going around about the story, but you know, if you're going on the air and, and yes, the host in this case on the podcast, it's me preps you and tries to get you to ask questions. And I can tell you, sometimes it's a little harder with some guests than the other. I really have to dig in deep and, and really listen to them and try to drag them out of where they are. Um, and, and, and get them to start to open up and really go somewhere vulnerable and authentic to tell their stories. But doing, and I have an hour, I have an hour and a half if I want, you know, before, but having six to eight minutes, like you, as a food entrepreneur, you really need to perfect that skill. You need to perfect yep. the skill on what your story is. And, and as a business, and we talk about it at, at, in our business a lot is 
we, we, we shouldn't go on and on and on about our business when we sit down for our first meeting. If we can't say it in six minutes, we've lost the person. You know, if we can't perfect it where we need to do it in three to four minutes, you know, we're losing attention. And that's the same with the TV. If you can't get it across in a very short period of time, the person's clicking the channel. You know, and the same thing happens on the radio. If you start to lose me on the radio, I'm clicking the next channel. And so how do you keep that audience captivated? It's really authenticity and vulnerability, in my opinion, but about your story and not about the sell. It's not about the sell. It's or the hard sell or whatever, because the minute you start to hard sell, someone person's like, oh, okay, I'm being sold. But if you tell your story, um, I think it's just so important. So if I mean, I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but this is my thing. If you want to come ever do co-packaging with food service partners, the thing is, is perfect your skill at selling the product first because we can produce it. That's not the problem. It's a matter of whether you can sell it. And by selling it, I don't mean hard selling it. I mean telling the story about the product. Perfect that and get it down so you're telling the same story about the brand through and through. I mean, would you guys yeah. agree with that? Absolutely. It's, it's, it's like John had up before it's that backyard fence mentality of you know and again the, the qbc and hn customer are they're they're very astute so you know they, they don't want to be hard pitched um they want to be and and there's, there's a fine line too is that you have to intertwine that that cell and that story um within the product content you know uh, uh context uh because you know as john said in the beginning product is king and that's that's what we, you know, the, the QVC and HSN buyers, VPs, directors will all tell you that ultimately product is king. But um, you're right, that, that authentic sell, that authentic feel, that uh, honey bell sell, you know, the, the gentleman has been around oranges for 50 years and he went on. He didn't care about the red light camera. He didn't care about what was going on in the studio. He went on and just said, hey, listen, this is, this is why I love honey bells and this is why you should buy honey bells. And, uh, and that resonates. And there is a reason why, well, A, because the product is great. That's why it's still on 18 years later. But um, there's a reason why it came out of the gate strong. It's because you watched that gentleman, you know, um, that authenticity of, of his, his passion was oranges. You know, and that's what he, he came on to just tell you. Hey, listen, you know, don't have to believe me, but I've been in this business for 50 plus years. So absolutely, Justin, 100% correct. Yeah, and I, and I would just tag on to the what Frank said, and, and you really got to be able to answer the why, why they should yep. buy it from you, and 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 you know, or or buy it from somewhere else. Why would they buy it from you? And I, and not, the story is a big piece of it, but then the answering and and having a conversation, not a sell type of strategy, but just saying this is why you should buy it from me. It's a conversation, and and because you can't get it anywhere else, or it's 100% organic or whatever, or it's my mom's recipe or whatever. That's the why, answering the why that you can't, you know, and I think that's an important part of the story. And I, I, I agree with that 100%. Um, so as we sort of are, are getting to the end of the episode, um, Frank and John, is, I mean, I'm going to give it to you. You guys can talk about anything you guys want to talk about or share with the audience if you haven't already, but I sort of just want to give you an open playing field to just share with the audience anything that you guys want to share or about yourselves or about your business or if you want if you want to, people to be able to get a hold of you. I don't know if that's the way you do it or you go find the people. It's up to you, but I just want to sort of give you, you know, 
however long you want because we have quite a bit of time, but just take the floor and talk about whatever you guys want to talk about or you think is important that I may not see as a host. Well, I mean, we appreciate that platform, uh, Justin Endeavor. We, you know, it's, it's, uh, what I'll tell you is that, you know, John and I are two very passionate product people and passionate business people. You know, that it's, we we're fortunate to uh, be in, a, in an industry and be in an environment where we get to see, you know, all different types of products and hear all different entrepreneur stories each and every day. Um, and we love it. You know, it's, it's not work for us. You know, I, I, you know, I, I play a lot of golf and I'll be teamed up with some other people on, you know, at, at a golf course or a golf outing. And, you know, ultimately the first question everybody asks is, what do you do? And I tell people I play with products all day and they, they look at me and they say, what? And I say, well, you know, I, I sell products on TV and I play with products all day. And, you know, one day I could be looking at a great new food line. Next day I could be looking at a great consumer electronics line and so on. And more often than not, they just, they look at me and these are doctors and lawyers and entrepreneurs that come to me and say, man, that is so exciting. I'm fascinated by what you do. Um, so uh, we're open um, to look at any and all opportunities. Um, you know, QVC and HSN um, are one of our many uh, areas of talent um, and expertise. Uh, so, you know, I would, you know, we would love to be able to look at products, you know, field anything from, you know, your listeners to say, Hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Um, you know, we're even open to, you know, consulting opportunities as well. Um, if maybe the product is not, um, suited for some of the channels, um, especially with John's food background, uh, you know, he's again, you know, he, he's, he's very modest in telling you this QVC stories, but you know, he's been in, in, involved in some tremendous food type of startup companies um, that uh, he's built from the ground up. So, um, you know, like I said, we're, we're just, we're, we're passionate, we're, we're passionate product guys. And uh, we love the food category. Food category is a lot of fun. And the growth is, um, you know, is just, uh, you know, keep, continues to climb. And so uh, we believe the future is extremely bright um, for the live TV shopping sector for food. Um, so, you know, John, uh, again, pick it up from here and let, let me know what you think. No, I, I, I appreciate the platform as well. I mean, I think, you know, Frank, you know, as always uh, is much better to the point than I am. Um, but <laughs> I, I would, I would say that, you know, for, for anyone who's listening, you know, listen, there's so much opportunity out there. And, and, you know, I think that, you know, if you have a great product and you're passionate about it, you know, we'd love to see it. And, yes. you know, the one thing I could tell you that, and hopefully you, the people listening have picked up on the, on this call, we're pretty direct people, very respectful. And, and we'd like to be treated as, as uh, others like to be treated. And we wouldn't, last thing we want to do is, you know, set anybody up for, you know, for, for failure. That's not a good, good use of anybody's time. So, um, you know, I think that there's, there's a lot of opportunity now more than ever yeah out there with a, a great food product. Um, you know, one of the great things I love about food, um, which I probably eat too much anyway, but um, is the <laughs> fact that is the fact that it's a consumable and, you know, and you're not, and you're selling, you, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, you know, you know, if whether, how it tastes and you can't say that for a lot of the other products when you receive them. I mean, you know, when you taste that product, whether it's good or not good. And um, I, I, with people in the food industry, and I've been around them for a long time, the food entrepreneurs, you know, it's very personal. There's a lot of passion to it. 
Um, but, you know, I think there's just, you know, I, I, we'd love to see what kind of products you have and, and we'll be as honest as we can to you to see if there's, if there's an opportunity. Yeah. Well, and if, if they want, you know, they can, you know, the best thing to do, I think is, is contact you guys, Justin, Deborah and, and John, you know, if they have uh, a, you know, a, a link to the show that they can get to contact you guys and, and you guys can, you know, send them our way. Um, I, I think that's the best unless you guys have any other, you know, any other ways for uh, them. I mean, I'd love to have them say, Hey, listen, I, I heard those two guys um, from that EMA company on your show. How do I get in touch with them? So, um, you know, we, again, we, this is a joy for us to, you know, especially as you can see for me, I'm, I'm the ultimate sales guy. So anytime I get a chance to talk about myself and my company, I, I'm all for it. So um, absolutely. You know, however they want to get in touch with us, please, you know, give them the opportunity and we'd love to look at everything they have. Yeah, and I actually have four things. The first thing is, is Frank, is when you said about playing with products all day, it reminds me of the movie Big with Tom Hanks where he sort of be- is a little kid and he makes a wish and becomes a big kid and gets to literally play and test with toys all day. And, and what an awesome job would that would be. And that's literally your job. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. The, the, the second point is... Um, I love that you guys are so open-minded and enjoy what you're doing so much because I think an entrepreneur working with you guys, that's just so enjoyable to have in their life, you know, and, uh, and to work with someone like you, you guys also are contagious to give to, to, to them. And I know just in our experience in working with you guys, it's contagious for us too. And it brings a lot of an, an excitement. Uh, my third point is, is if you guys can't get on EMA, I know a guy he might be named uh, Silent but Deadly, but he can sneak you on the QVC. <laughs> <laughs> so, not once this airs. Once this airs, that might be over with. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then the fourth thing is, is my last question uh, to wrap this up. And, and it doesn't need to be three things, but I'm sort of just going to ask for three things. Is that if each of you could sort of give three things that you think are essential for, for entrepreneurs to work with you guys, um, what would it be? Three things or three qualities or three assets that they would need to have that would bring success in working with you guys? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll start out with, with mine. And uh, I don't know if I'm stealing any Johns, but, you know, um, n- number one is, you know, um, the authenticity. You know, you talked about it, Justin, but the authenticity, um, you know, John and I have had our share of stories where um, we've dealt with people that haven't been on the up and up. So really the authenticity of, of, you know, what you're doing um, Two is always the, the product is king. And I, I, that almost goes without saying, but you know, product is king. Um, you know, it, it's hard to dress up a product that really doesn't have um, any resonance and, and really, you know, is not market ready. So, um, you know, product is definitely king. And, and uh, three for me is the passion. You know, John and I work, um, you know, in a very high, you know, high volume type of business once we get it going. So we like to work with people um, kind of like you guys, FSP, you guys uh, are hungry uh, like we are, no pun intended. And the passion um, has to be there. Um, you know, if uh, like I said, there's only so much time in the day and we have only so much bandwidth um, to work on projects. So, um, you know, we like to work with people who have that same mindset um, that we do and are passionate about what they do. So if I can narrow it down to three, I guess those would be 
my three, and I don't, uh, John, I don't know if I stepped on you at all and, and see what you've got. Well, you, you took one of mine, which was passion. Um, but the, sec- <laughs> the second one is attitude, um, yeah. you know, because, you know, the, the, the kind of things that are required to, to kind of get your product to market, you've got to have a, a really positive attitude and, and willing to um, always think half full. And I think that when, when we work with um, customer clients that have that kind of can-do attitude, first of all, it's, you know, you're, you're going to have, you know, hiccups along the way. And um, it's important to have that, that attitude as a, as a guiding star as you're going through them. And I think the third one is being able to pivot. And I would tell you that's where I see a lot of people uh, having a challenge is something didn't go the way you wanted to and you weren't able to change. And being able to pivot nowadays in any business is so important. And now with the transparency of social media and, and how quick uh, QVC works and everything moves very, very fast and you have to be willing to pivot. So those would be my three things. Well, and I, I actually loved all of them and, and it's, it, you guys answered it so well and you knew three things right off the back, but the pivot thing is such an important part for, for us too, and doing the co-packaging and as well as the attitude and, and basically everything you said. But one of the things about pivoting in the attitude is like people would look at things as failure or a criticism or, or things like that, not as something like, Hey, okay, this is an opportunity for me. This is not something happening to me, you know? And, and I'll, I'll say it. It's another growing opportunity. Really. When something doesn't go your way, the pivot is an opportunity to grow as a person and as a business. And I think that's so important that people actually, you know, take that on and really hear that, um, that if something doesn't go your way, it's not a bad thing. It's an opportunity. And if you look at it that way, like you said, half full, your world really opens up. And actually that disadvantage, if you perfect that skill, which is the pivoting skill, in my opinion, like things happen. People don't approve your product. You get negative opinion. It doesn't mean you need to listen to everyone, but it should mean that you perfect this skill to move, you know, quickly and you have agility in your business to move and pivot and keep moving forward. Cause one, that's how you stay ahead of a competition. It's not by focusing on the competition. It's just by being able to maneuver faster than them. And if you perfect that skill, I think you do a hell of a thing. And if you, you also create your own market by pivoting. You never know what you discover through creativity. And, you know, Deborah, and we've discussed Disneyland before, but Walt Disney, Mickey Mouse wasn't his first cartoon. You know, he had Oswald the Rabbit, and he, it didn't do as well. So he pivoted, decided to do something else, changed it, took people's criticism, and then created Mickey Mouse, and look where he is. So it's, right. it's one of those things that you just have to have an open mind for and an open heart and, as an entrepreneur and just go do it, and I think it's so important. And it makes it easier to work with you, really, because the partnership that an EMA would have with you or that a food service partners would have with you there has to be flexibility in, in, in all of us to, to pivot and move, and we're willing to do it with you. But when one person, uh, particularly the entrepreneur, isn't willing to pivot, it makes it nearly impossible to move forward, if not impossible. So um, I think that's yeah. pretty awesome. Well said. Well said. Well said. 
And so thank you guys again for being on the episode. So I'd love to have you guys back on and, and sort of what I'm thinking off the fly is that maybe as we pursue our relationship and, and we have things going, um, we do a well-rounded uh, episode where we sort of bring on the entrepreneur we're working with that we're doing co-packaging for and we tell the whole complete story and we, we do an episode basically on the whole complete story. So as we get off uh, silent but deadly and the rest of us can sort of coordinate and figure out what client that could be in the future and how we work that in for a future episode. So if you guys are willing to do something like that, I'd love to have you guys back on the show for sure. And then just yeah, back on the show in general. Uh, yeah, down absolutely. The road. Love that. This has been a great experience for us. Yeah. Thank you guys for taking the time and being so excited to be on the show. And, uh, again, thank you, Deborah, for, for co-hosting and, and thank you, John Lutzko for, for coming on and sort of being the brunt of our jokes. And, um, (laughs) anytime, anytime. I appreciate it. (laughs) And, uh, and, uh, poor guy, I feel bad for him. Tum, tum. And, uh, (laughs) and, uh, but, Anyone who's listening in, thank you guys for listening in and sharing the episodes. As we record this, we're in over 43 countries, which is pretty awesome. Uh, and thank you guys for, for listening in. If you want to reach out to Deborah and I or are interested in getting in contact with EMA and us, you can reach out to us. Uh, my email is justin at thefoodentrepreneurs.com. And I'll give you John Lutzko's and Deborah's email address. I don't normally do that on the show, but it's J Lutzko. That's L-U-T-Z-K-O at F as in Frank, S as in Sam, P as in Peter, 98.com. So FSP98.com. And Deborah's is, I'll let Deborah. It's Deborah, D-E-B-O-R-A-H at FSP98.com. And so that everyone has it if they're interested in, in communicating and, and moving forward. And then lastly, if you, you like what we're doing, follow us on social media, Facebook and Instagram, uh, at Justin the Food Entrepreneurs. And thank you, everyone, for listening in and have a great day. Thank you, everyone, again, for participating. And uh, I look forward to our next episode. Thank you so thank much. You. Thank you. Thank you.